It's Monday, April 29th, 2019. I'm Irby Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Delhi, India. Well, this is our weekly Monday Bible study and call to prayer. Today, we are continuing our study on the book of Acts, and we are looking specifically at Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 15. So let's read this passage set before us, Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 15. Now, when they, being Paul and Silas, had passed Amphibolus and Apollina, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus who I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Cyrus as Silas, as did a, many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money and security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. And the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea, also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. You see, Paul and his companions had now entered into, fully entered into Macedonia. And now they're going into Thessalonica and Berea. They are continuing to follow the leading of the Spirit. And if you remember in Acts chapter 16, verses 9 through 10, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And there was a man in Macedonia who was standing there and was urging Paul, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And so when Paul had seen the vision, immediately the brothers sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called them to preach the gospel to the Macedonians. And so now we, we continue into chapter 17 and we see this Macedonian call and this Macedonian mission continuing. And it continues into Thessalonica. And this time that is in this, this word in Thessalonica, we see this letter to the church at Thessalonians. And we're going to see some of these same, uh, same themes coming out through First and Second Thessalonians. But as we read this passage in Acts 17 today, I want us to remember Easter Sunday, which we celebrated just a week ago. We are reminded in this passage that Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, isn't a one-time event. It's not a one-time calendar event for the believer. It is an everyday reality for the believer. And we see in Acts chapter 17, verse 3, that Paul, as he's explaining from the scriptures and proving 
that it was necessary for what? For Christ to suffer and rise from the dead. He says this, this Jesus who I proclaim to you is the Christ. And otherwise, it is central to the gospel that Jesus both suffered, was, was, was died on the cross, and was risen again. That is central point to the gospel. And so we don't bring the resurrection just to Easter, but it must permeate everything about our gospel proclamation. That's why we see in Isaiah 53, 5, the prophecy about the Christ. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. That's why the psalmist says in Psalm 16, 10, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, talking about the Messiah and the Christ, or let your Holy One see corruption. What does Psalm 1610 mean? There will be resurrection. The same king that would be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities and whose chastisement would bring us peace. He also would not be abandoned to Sheol and he would not be abandoned to corruption, but he would raise again. That's why we read those words out of John chapter 20, verses 1 through 9. And they're so powerful, not just on Easter morning, but every day of the year when it says, On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, being John, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple, John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and he believed. Yet, verse 9, they did not understand the scripture. They didn't understand that he must, he, Jesus, must rise from the dead. You see, even on Easter morning, even on that first resurrection Sunday, that first day of the week, that Sunday, the disciples didn't fully understand the scriptures. They didn't understand the prophecy. They didn't understand what their minds beheld. Oh, they believed that something extraordinary had happened. They believed that a miracle had happened. They believed that the same Jesus who had raised Lazarus and healed the blind and healed the sick and healed the lame and, and brought dead girls back to life again. They believed that he too had risen, but they didn't understand the importance. It's not until we see recorded by Luke, the same author of Acts in Luke's gospel, chapter 24, verse 44, that they start to understand. Listen to this. Then he, Jesus said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets, Isaiah 53, and the Psalms, Psalm 16, must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. When Jesus appeared, they now understood the scripture and they understood the importance. They understood that his mission was to die. His mission was to die and then to conquer death. And you see, every other major leader's mission ended upon his death. 
Mao Zedong, Stalin, Hitler, upon their death, their mission ended. Religious leaders, the Buddha, Mahatma Gandhi, you look at, at Muhammad, their mission ended upon their death, but Jesus' mission was to die. <laughs> and his death and his resurrection fueled the spread of the mission. Not only was it his mission to die, it fueled the spread of the mission. Oh, beloved, we live in a day of skepticism. We doubt most everything or we'll believe anything. And there's really no middle ground. We either fall for anything or don't believe a single thing. And our source of information in the news is the internet, where rumors are rampant and Wikipedia is edited by users. We're more interested in pictures posted on social media or people's emotions which they share. And because of this, people today in 2019 will doubt the resurrection. But beloved, don't miss it. People were doubting the resurrection 2,000 years ago. We live in a day of skeptics. Most people walking around in 2019 and certainly back in the time of the resurrection, they knew that Jesus lived and they knew that he died. But what makes him Lord and King is that he conquered that death and he was resurrected from the grave. Oh, and beloved, there is major evidence of the resurrection found here even in Acts chapter 17. Evidence that shows us that Paul's message in verse 3 is true, that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. First, the first major evidence we see in Acts chapter 17 is the resurrected king turned scoffers into evangelists. I mean, look at Paul. Verse 2, Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, three weeks, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Huh. Paul, in Acts chapter 9, was a, was a scoffer. He was, he was terrorizing the church. He was getting letters from Jerusalem to be able to go and, and imprison believers, our brothers and sisters. Huh. But now he is an evangelist, and he is his, as was his custom. This is customary. Paul was going throughout and preaching the good news. Paul doesn't be, turn from a scoffer to an evangelist if Jesus didn't raise from the dead. He says it in verse 3. I preach this gospel that it was necessary that he rise from the dead. A risen Christ changes people from scoffers into evangelists. But the third, the second major evidence of the resurrection found here in this passage, passage is that the resurrected king turns fearful followers into brave warriors. Huh. The disciples had scattered. Peter had denied Jesus. And now Jason and Paul and Silas and, and Timothy, you see in this passage that now they have great boldness. What does it say about verse 6? Look at the end of verse 6 again, where Jason is dragged out before the city, and they say in, in, against Jason, these men whom Jason has in his home, who have turned the world upside down, have now come here to Thessalonica also. Huh. The disciples don't become bold emissaries of the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ without the resurrection. You don't gain boldness when your Savior is in a grave. You don't gain boldness in, in order to risk your life and go to the nations when your king is dead. No, you only go, go, garner that boldness when your king has conquered death. Why? Because now the, the, the disciples... The, the believers, they can look at the face of death and say, death, you have no hold over me. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Why? Because the resurrected king turns fearful followers into brave warriors. But the third major evidence we see in this passage of the resurrection 
is number three, the resurrected king turns wayward hearts to his glorious gospel. Huh, what do we see? We see that after Paul's message, verse four, that many were persuaded to join Paul and Cyrus, as did a many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. Huh, not a few, meaning many. Devout Jews and Greeks were coming to Jesus at the proclamation of the gospel. A gospel that has power is the gospel with a Christ that is risen, a Christ that has conquered the grave, a Christ that has conquered death, a Messiah that has once and for all gone into the very throne room of heaven and loosened our freedom and loosened us so that we are no longer slaves to sin, but free to Christ. The resurrected King turns wayward hearts to his glorious gospel. And beloved, we are called to preach the gospel with boldness. And the resurrection gives us tremendous boldness. If our Lord, Master, King, and Savior has the power over death, then what is there to fear? For those of us who are Christ followers, to live as Christ and to die is gain. If we live this, this means that we are dedicated to fruitful labor for the kingdom. And we have full courage that Christ will be honored in our body and our testimony. That's why Hebrews says in chapter 13, verse 6, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And when we preach the gospel with boldness and entrust our message to the Lord, we know in turn that the hearts of men will turn from death to life. That's why Paul writes the church at Thessalonica in his first letter to the Thessalonians. In, in chapter 1, starting in verse 8, he says, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. We see this gospel received in Berea as well. In verse 12, many believed, Greek women and men of high standing. Oh, beloved, this is proof we must be sensitive to the calling of God. We must go where God calls us to go. Paul went to Macedonia. He ends up in Thessalonica. He ends up in Berea and he preaches the gospel. And what happens when we preach the gospel wherever we go? We see life change. But also when we preach this gospel wherever we go, we must be devoted to prayer and to the word of God. And I want us to, as we close, see four things, four assurances from this passage that we have, that when we devote our lives to the gospel, the word of God and to prayer, these are four assurances that we have. Number one, we will be filled with joy and eagerness. Verse 11, now the Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. We will be filled with joy and eagerness and others will be filled with joy and eagerness. When, when our lives are devoted to the gospel, when our lives are devoted to the word of God, when our lives are devoted to prayer, what can man do to us? What can suffering do to us? What can circumstances do to us? When we are filled with the word of God, when we are devoted to prayer, we're devoted to the gospel, we will be filled with joy and eagerness joy to serve the Lord and eagerness to take this gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. But second, the second assurance we have from this passage when we devote our lives to the gospel, the word of God and prayer is that we will see sinners respond, repent and come to the gospel. Verse 12, many of them therefore believed, many believed at the proclamation of the gospel, 
When our lives are devoted to that gospel, devoted to the word of God, and devoted to prayer, we can be assured that sinners will respond, repent, and come to the gospel. Does it mean that we will always see it with our eyes? Absolutely not. But it does mean this, that any seed that is sowed will not return void. Any message that is preached will not return void. We will see sinners respond, repent, and come to the gospel. And that means we must preach this gospel with faithfulness. Even when the guy on the plane to us puts in his headphones because he doesn't want to listen to the message. Even when our neighbors don't want to listen to the message anymore. Even when people see us coming and they go, ooh, there's that radical Christian. We must continue to preach the gospel. Why? Because we are assured that sinners will respond. But then third, the, the, the third assurance we see from this passage is, is that when we devote our lives to the gospel, the word of God into prayer, we will meet opposition. Oh, beloved, we will meet opposition. Verse 13, but when the Jews from Thessalonica learned the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, guess what? They came over there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Beloved, the kingdom of darkness cannot stand the kingdom of light. When you bring light into darkness, the darkness wants to scatter and it wants to attack. It wants to attack and ex extinguish that light. We will meet opposition. And that's proof that this message is boldness. If this message was not true, if the resurrection did not happen, if there was not power in this gospel, why would we meet opposition? We would be seen as lunatics. Instead, we're seen as dangerous. Why? Because this gospel is is the power of God to overcome the king of this current king of this world, the king of earth, our adversary. But the fourth assurance we have from this passage, when we devote our lives to the gospel, the word of God and the prayer, we will be supplied by the Lord with co-laborers. Oh, I love the last part of this. So the 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 Jews from Thessalonica are agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then verse 14, the brothers immediately, the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. Oh, beloved, they are co-laborers. They're brothers and sisters. And in your life today, no matter what you're going through, I want you to know that you have been supplied with brothers and sisters and co-laborers. Oh, precious foster family that feels like you're at the end of the rope. There are brothers and sisters that will surround you and love you and care for you. Reach out to them. Oh, beloved adopted family who's struggling in the post-adoption process. You have brothers and sisters and co-labors who will struggle and will get into the trenches with you. Oh, beloved family that's wading through your adoption process. There are brothers and sisters along this journey who have finished this journey and others that will wrap around you and show you the love of Christ. Beloved, we will be supplied with with the Lord with co-laborers. And we are devoted to the gospel, the word and to prayer, and we will go forth. Recently, our family finished the biography of Amy Carmichael. And our whole family was just impressed by the many things about her life, her, her work in Ireland, her work in Japan, and ultimately uh, the 40 plus years that she spent in India. Amy was an Irish woman. She, she never married, but you see her exclaim to God throughout this biography, she was never lonely. She always was supplied by co-laborers, right? She, she certainly met opposition as we see that through the Bible from Hindus in India and from those in Ireland who didn't understand her mission. And then we see her eagerness throughout her biography to spread the gospel to all nations. And then we saw sinners in her, her biography coming to Christ, coming to the gospel message, responding in Ireland and Japan and India and even beyond people she never met. But here's the deal. 
One of the things that was impressed upon me is Amy Carmichael was a woman that was devoted to the gospel, to the word of God, and to prayer, and to the cross of Christ. This is what she said. She said, if I covet any place on earth but the dust at the foot of the cross, then I know nothing of Calvary's love. I was just impressed about how Amy Carmichael never asked for a single thing, but the Lord continued to have folks from Ireland, from Japan, from the U.S. supply the needs that she had to, to bring the gospel to bear in India and in Japan. Beloved, the Lord is writing his story through devoted faithfulness. And so may our epitaphs say that we are a community of people who turn the world upside down for the sake of the gospel. You see, that's our goal and that's our mission right there that one day people will say, oh, this was a man, this was a woman. These were a people who turned the world upside down. May we turn this world upside down for the sake of the gospel. And the way we do that is that we are devoted to the gospel. We're devoted to the word of God. We're devoted to prayer and we're preaching the resurrection. Benediction, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. It says this, it says, We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. Well, thanks for listening to the Fender Podcast. For more information or to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at LifelineChild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again tomorrow for the Defender Podcast.